If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to keep going here, plugging along. And um, as we approach Easter, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to, uh, uh, just, you can go grab one if you need to grab one. You can borrow it if you need to borrow it. You can take it if you need to take it. If you're a user of the Bible app, as I mentioned just a second ago, um, you can uh, uh, track along with our live event and um, get the sermon notes and the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. As we, uh, as we get into the word here, let's, let's take a moment and pray, ask for God's help. Uh, Father, here we are before your throne. Now, um, it, word is open before us here. W- would, you, would you speak to us? Your words are spirit and life. And we say, like the disciples said, and where else are we going to go? There's lots of sources of data and input, but God, where else do we really want to go? And the answer is nowhere. We want to be your people. We want to hear from you today. Um, So open your word to us. Let it unfold before us. And God, let it come down on us. We need it. Um, May it shape us in the ways that we need to and bring to us what we need. Holy Spirit, to that end, uh, just what we um, sung just a moment ago. Yes, Lord. Yes, our, our, our answer is yes to you. Whatever you ask of us and whatever you command of us, uh, we say yes. And I pray that um, as we yield ourselves, that you would now minister in, in a way that is both glorifying to the Father and helpful to us. So uh, unleash that on us. And we ask this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, so in... Acts chapter 4, um, just catching up real quick. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, uh, they've uh, been a part of God healing a man who was lame and he was at the beautiful gate of the temple and they said, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. And by golly, the guy got up and walked. It was pretty awesome. He started leaping and jumping around and praising God and they, uh, a crowd kind of rallied around when miracles like that happened. That's kind of, Peter steps up into that and says, listen, it wasn't us. It was Jesus, uh, and then they got arrested and spent time in jail overnight. And they were dragged before the Sanhedrin, uh, this ruling council, and guess what their message was? It wasn't us, it was Jesus, okay? And so we're catching uh, the middle part of the sermon here uh, where uh, they, they had some interaction here. We're starting in verse 13. Um, now when they, that's the Sanhedrin, that's the ruling council, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now we're going to read some more in just a second, but let's pause because that's too good right there. That's just too good. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, what, what boldness did they see? They saw uh, Peter and John speaking truth to power. We have people in our lives who, who need the truth spoken. Some who are above us in org charts or other things, cultural uh, uh, measurements, some who are below us, but they spoke the truth nonetheless. Um, they saw the boldness in them speaking in that way. They saw the boldness of Peter and John speaking and, and testifying to Jesus. Uh, they, they said, even in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but God 
which he has become the cornerstone. In other words, hey, y'all threw him out. You rejected him. But, 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 don't miss this. God has picked him up and has placed him at the center. He is the, the starting point of all that is going to be new in all of creation. And there is no other name. Salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven uh, given among men by which we must be saved. That's verse 12. So they saw them testifying to Jesus and they saw, this is the part that I couldn't go over this week. They saw them do this fearlessly. It was a great challenge to me as I read and reread and reread and reread and reread this story. I just kept coming up with this. They looked at those guys and they weren't scared. There was no fear. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, not schooled in the ways of arguing, not schooled in theology, they were astonished. Astonished at what? Astonished that these men ought to have been trembling and instead they were testifying to the things that God had done. They ought to be fearful and instead they were worried about just being faithful to everything that God had said. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. That's such a good thing. Um, we'll come back to it in just a second. But man, don't, don't miss that it was their being with Jesus that made all the difference. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. In other words, the, the evidence just kept mounting that what they were saying was true. You not only had these men and they were bold in this, uh, but you also had the guy who had been healed standing beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition. The Sanhedrin, this ruling council was getting ready to put them on blast. And then there's this guy standing here who had been healed miraculously. And they're like, I got nothing to say. That's what they, that's where it came down to. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. There's no spinning it. That's what the essence of it is. Let's kick them out. Okay, now what are we going to do? How are we going to spin this? We can't spin this. Okay, what do we do then? Verse 17. Impossible, the world's worst strategic decision, but in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Let's just tell them not to talk about it anymore. That's a terrible plan, okay? Because, I mean, you've got these guys. They've already spoken about it multiple times. They've spoken about it to you. They've, they're living fearlessly. You're scared of the consequences of all of this. You can't deny what they're saying. Hey, just shh, you guys be quiet. Anybody ever have that conversation with your kids where you're like, well, y'all just shh for just a second. Like, can we have a mouth timeout? Like, a, like an audio timeout for just... just that's what they were trying to do. It wasn't happening. It didn't happen with my kids either, just for the record. Um, that's what they were trying to do. Um, verse, verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak to or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, was it really a threat though? 
Because if they're not scared, is it really a threat? When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Luke, the physician, simply notes that, that, hey, he didn't just grow out of this, right? I mean, this is miraculous. That's why he's saying it. So I tried to put this together in a way that made sense to me this week, and this is what I came up with. Hopefully it'll make sense to you too. There, there are four kind of lessons learned from this whole chapter three, chapter four thing, okay? Four big lessons learned. Uh, they're kind of encapsulated in this little section here, um, but, but these are the four lessons. Number one, and I think this is so important for us to hold on to, uh, God is willing to use the willing. Who is most, who is most qualified to do the work that God has called them to? the one who is willing. God is willing to use the willing. Um, Go back to verse 12 here. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The primary qualification for being useful to God is willingness. We all long for something more. We all long to be a part of a bigger story. Sometimes um, we write um, our stories and, and put uh, ourselves in, in, in the places where we are to try to you know, get something or be a part of something, whatever. Here's the thing. The primary qualification for being useful in in the story that God is telling in all of creation is a willingness to be used by him. Why is that important? Here's why that's important for, for maybe two or three reasons. Number one, uh, some of us came in here imperfect today. It was this section over here. They're the only ones nodding. All the rest of you perfect people. Let me just talk to the sinners here for a second. Some of us came in here imperfect today. But our imperfection does not disqualify us from being useful. Um, the, the transformation of Peter and John was very evident. I mean, Peter and John, if you'll remember, they were the guys who left the room uh, when the women came back and said, Jesus is raised from the dead. It was those two hooligans who took off running, sprinting to the tomb to see what was going on. And they got there and they're looking like, wow, it's, it's these two guys. So, I mean, the transformation of their lives was, was very evident. Was it complete? Was it perfected? No, it wasn't. Galatians chapter two, Paul has to take Peter to task over his hypocrisy with the Jews. There's a whole nother story there for another day. I'm just, but God is willing to use the willing. It doesn't matter if if you stand here today or you sit here today and you think to yourself, I'm not sure God's going to use me because of the stuff that is in my past, the stuff that's, uh, you know, kind of wrapped around me and the stuff that's in the U-Haul that goes everywhere that I go, that I just carry around the baggage that I have. Um, God is willing to use the willing. That's one reason it's important. A second reason it's important is in our particular culture, in our particular context, I think that one of the things that we so, and I'm not knocking this, I'm saying let's just not make an idol out of it. Uh, One of the things that we value around here is education. And you can, I mean, you can throw an acorn and hit an engineer. Uh, you, You can throw a stone and hit somebody with a master's degree and a 
slightly smaller stone and hit somebody with a PhD. Like, I mean, we are an educated group of folks here in this church and in our particular area. Everybody's agree with that, right? Everybody gets that. It's who we are. And we care about this and we care about our kids getting a good education, all of that kind of stuff. I don't want to devalue education. I just want to put it in its proper context. And this is coming from a guy, master's degree, hopefully this year, finish up a doctoral degree. Like one of these days it'll get done. Let's hold education as a value, but let's say properly, um, the thing that God uses is not our education. It's our willingness. So back in verse 12, one more time, they saw Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. It's education. It does matter, but Jesus matters more. He matters more. Um, now, say that, I'm going to try to thread this needle very carefully here. Um, you cannot divorce spending time in the Word of God and growing in the knowledge of the Word of God, reading it deeply and reading it broadly and consistently. You cannot divorce spending time in the Word of God uh, from spending time with Jesus. It's recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, they, they uh, um, spent time with him and they spent time listening to the things that he said. They spent time, if you will, in the word of Jesus. That's, that's such an important thing to do. And so some people approach the Bible and then um, they think that going deeper with Jesus means being able to answer trivia questions from the Bible. That's not what this is about. Um, uh, going deeper with Jesus means hearing what he says and then going and doing those things. He says it this way in John chapter 8. He said to those people who followed him, hey, if you abide in my word, then you will be truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. That's what happens. So we don't want to divorce spending time in the word of God from spending time with Jesus. That's, that's, you, people can read the Bible and, and not actually spend time with Jesus. We don't want to be those people. But you can't claim that you're spending time with Jesus apart from spending time in the word. Do you see the, the uh, needle I'm trying to thread here? I mean, you, just, you can't split those two. You can't split those two. Uh, to spend time with Jesus means to spend time in his word. And we want to be people who do that. So how do we go about doing this? I did want to make this just practical as could be. Um, we've talked about this particular thing before, uh, but we use a little acronym here, REAP, R-E-A-P. Here we go. You ready? R, R is for read. Let's spend time with the Bible open in front of us. Some of you are like, reading's not my thing. I need to listen to it. Um, you know, it's an audio thing. Great. Knock yourself out. That's, we've got all sorts of ways to do that. Uh, some people do it on their commute. Uh, you know, you're driving 30 minutes or whatever. They're listening to it. Fantastic. Okay. Let's be people who spend time in the word. And then the E comes. E is for examine. What's going on in the thing that I'm hearing or, or I'm reading? Okay. I'm reading it. Now what's going on? Well, let's examine what's happening here. And then there's always something for you and me to do. So that's where the A comes. We have to apply this. How do I then go out and do it? It is not those who read it and understand it who are transformed. It is those who read it and understand it and do it. That's that is the trans, that's where the transformational power happens. Read, examine, apply, and the last one is pray. Because these words are the word of God to us. And so when we take these and lift our eyes from the page to the one who gave them to us, or maybe better stated, 
we see behind just the words and we see the God behind, who's staring at us back from the page, we can in, enter into a dialogue with him. We can pray. We can be relational with him. Folks, here's the thing. We're not relating to words on a page. We're relating to the living God of the universe. So let's read. Let's examine. Let's apply. Man, we need to apply. And then let's let those things turn into prayer. Read, examine, apply, and pray. Um, God is willing to use the willing. Um, if we're going to be those people, we have to be people in the word. That's what I'm telling you. Secondly, second big lesson learned here, the church is at its best when it is focused. I think the church is at its best when it is focused. Um, certainly you can say this about any other organization. That's true. Uh, uh, mission creep and all that kind of stuff, all of that leadership language, that's all true. I, it's, it's crucial for us that we say this, that the church is at its best when focused. What are we focused on? We're focused on sharing the gospel, first of all, focused on sharing the gospel in word. We, we want to share the gospel. That's what we want to do. We want to be people who speak up. Now, um, Peter and John are here beforehand, and they've already said, hey, this Jesus whom you rejected, God has chosen as the cornerstone, there's salvation to no one else. They've offered all of that. They could have, because if it's a political entity, they could have offered political solutions or political options uh, to these political people. The church, though, is at its best, not when it's talking about politics, but when it's talking about the gospel. They could have offered economic solutions. The church is at its best, not when it's talking economics, but when it is talking about the gospel. The church is at its best, not when it's talking about educational theory, but when it's talking about the gospel. Not when it's talking about ethics, when it's talking about the gospel. It's not that we don't have plenty to say to all of those things. I, again, we talk, pointed this out last week. The rest of the book of Acts will unfold and it will have plenty to say. It will have a lot to say about race relations and it will have a lot to say uh, about ministry to those who are in, in need. Um, but it all comes out of the gospel. The church is at its best when it is focused on sharing the gospel and sharing that gospel in word. I got a phone call this week. Uh, I don't know if you're here or not. Um, maybe you showed up, maybe you didn't. I hope you did. They, they called this week and, and uh, they said, hey, what time are your services? 8.30 and 11. Um, they said, does your pastor, I'm on the phone, does your pastor preach the Bible? Well, he sure tries. Most, most Sunday, you know, I, uh, there, was, there was reason for uh, that question and all of that. There's some stuff that was in the background that eventually came out. Um, all I know is this, that the church is at its best, not when it gets um, diverted or distracted by the other things that are going on, but when it roots itself in the gospel and begins to share that gospel in word. It's, we stand up. And we say, this is the word of God. Let's, let's proclaim it like it is. The church is at its best when it's focused. It also is at its best. Um, uh, the corollary to that is that it's its best when it, we are also showing the gospel in deed. We share the gospel in our words, but we show the gospel in deed. We step out and we say, hey, because Jesus is in charge of the world, because Jesus reigns over everything, because he has beaten sin and death, uh, because he is Lord of all, uh, then we get to go out and live accordingly. We get to go out and serve. We get to go out and emulate the things that he did to be a part of this. Peter and John healed the guy at the temple gate. Um, we get to be a part of seeing people made whole. Uh, 
Uh, later in the book, there'll be other things that come up where uh, they get to do other things, other good deeds, other acts of service. We get to be a part of um, serving others. There's all these things that we get to participate in. We get to show the gospel indeed. I want to circle back around to something that we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how many of you remember we had boxes of backpacks up here stuffed with snacks? You remember that? 300 backpacks given away. Uh, let me I don't want to misread this. One of them went to Calder Road um, Elementary down in Dickinson, and I got uh, this, this text message and then a picture uh, from the principal. The cutest story when they pass out the backpacks. The cutest story is from a kid in the first grade. I delivered the bags, and of course the other kids wanted to know what was in it, so I just told them homework. I told them homework that needed to be completed over spring break. Later, one of the little girls, first grader, came up, hugged the principal, um, found her in the hall and hugged her and said, thank you so much for the homework, and then gave her a wink like that. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Hey, here's another part. This, this one came, toast from this picture. You mind putting that up? From this little one, Cavian. Cavian has two siblings. So the principal, Sophia, gave Cavian three bags. Um, and he said, um, I gave Cavian three bags um, for um, he and his siblings. Uh, uh, they are still living in a hotel, still. And, um, you know, they, they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how it's going to go, but they needed it. So... Um, I say that to say this, church, uh, God has blessed us. We get to be a blessing. And this, this uh, Harvey stuff hasn't stopped. Taking care of kids who need stuff, that hasn't stopped. There are people who need the gospel out there. That hasn't stopped over and over and over again. We can just keep going with these kind of things. We have good works to do, so let's get about doing good works, right? I mean, that, that's... We show the gospel. Yes, let's share the gospel, please. And let's show the gospel also. Let's do both of those things. The third lesson, I could say a lot more about that. Let me just stop. But the third lesson goes like this. That opposition should be expected. That's one of the things I see. And certainly uh, they commanded them, verse 15, they commanded them to leave the council. They conferred with one another. What are we going to do? That a notable sign is we can't spin this, verse 17, in order that it may spread no further. Uh, uh, let us warn them to speak. And then they call them and they threaten them. Opposition is to be expected. What kind of oppositions? Particularly uh, these three areas, I think. Number one, there's religious opposition. Uh, religious opposition is... is uh, people who don't like what you're doing because it somehow threatens them or brings conviction to them. And oftentimes they use something very small, uh, very, some, some sort of minutia or some sort of technicality to discount you. This is this guy, Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath and all the people get wrapped around the axle because Jesus healed the guy on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at him and goes, you pull your donkey out of a ditch, right? Yeah, guess what? I healed this guy's hand. Who do you think is more important here? Religious. When, when they're uh, they are threatened or under conviction, something to lose. Cultural. Uh, that is, if, if things really do change, this kind of cultural opposition or is, often comes from people who have something to lose if the, sh if the system shifts underneath them. 
the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, the folks that Peter and John are before here, they had a lot to lose if the gospel was true. They had prestige, they had power, they had position in, in um, society, all of that kind of stuff. Therefore, they were saying, don't you say anything else in his name. But bigger than all of that, and I think probably underneath it all, was spiritual opposition. Not, not people, but powers. Powers that do not want to see the gospel go forward, do not want to see bondage broken, do not want to see sinners repent, do not want to see life received. There's a spiritual opposition that does come and will come. And again, we said this last week, I'm saying this again, not because I'm a prophet. I don't have anything in me that says, hey, guess you better get ready, you know, strap them on because like, that's, that's not what's in me. I don't know that we're, we need to prepare for that. All I know is that we need to say opposition should be expected in rooms like this, in moments of relative tranquility, so that when opposition comes, we're not just reeling. I mean, we, we need to ready ourselves now so that when it does show up, we're ready. We're, we're prepared for it and it doesn't catch us off guard. There's religious, there's cultural, there's spiritual opposition. And um, if I could just point this out, um, again, trying to thread the needle here uh, very carefully. Um, that spiritual opposition kind of lays underneath all of this other stuff. And so our real fight is not with any particular person. Can we say that again? Our real fight is not with any particular person. Paul, who's going to come up later in the book, says it this way. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and so forth. So the real struggle is at the spiritual level. You may think that you have an enemy who has skin on, but really, the true enemy does not. Okay. Opposition should be expected. Lastly, meet, uh, this is the last lesson learned, uh, meet opposition like they did. Meet opposition with obedience. Can I just put a parenthesis here? Not argument. <laughs> meet opposition with obedience, not argument. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, you haven't converted anyone to your point of view on Facebook. Anybody noticed that before? Like the things that you say, don't move people. Okay, all right. Meet people, excuse me, meet opposition with obedience, uh, not argument. Why? Because it's this where the sermon title came from, obey God, because it's always right to obey God. Church family, listen to me. You're going to face things this week, and inevitably, th this statement will come back, Lord willing, let it come back to your mind. Um, hey, wh what do I do? It's always right to obey God. It's always right. And furthermore, it's always good to obey God. It, all, it is always good. You're going to have struggles, places where you can cut corners or places where you can hold on to bitterness or places where you can make choices uh, that, that maybe you would regret later. It's always right to obey God in those moments, but it's also always good. It is for your good that you obey God. It is not for your ill. It may feel hard. It may feel bad. It may not feel right at the time. It's always right, and it's always good to obey God. And thirdly, don't miss this. When we do, when it's because it's right and because it's good, um, it also always brings good. There's a reason why we call it salt and light, why, why Jesus calls us salt and light. It brings good to the world. It's right to obey God. It is good to obey God, and it brings good when we obey God. H how do we go about doing that? What, what, 
how do we meet opposition with obedience? We basically, just like we sung, we say yes. We say yes with our good works. Verse 14, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say, right? Now, so we go about doing the things that God has given us to do. We, we do the good works that God has done. And then in verse 19 and 20, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we, for us, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Not only do we do good works, but we also bear testimony. We bear testimony. And the crazy thing about testimony is it's irrefutable. It's irrefutable if you're telling the truth. Nobody can say that's not, no, no. It's irrefutable if you're telling the truth. So tell the truth. You don't have to like blow it up and make it bigger than just it's irrefutable if you're telling the truth. Well, I'm not exactly standing before the ruling council or anything like that. That's true. But you are standing before your neighbors and friends. Um, you are standing before your coworkers and your family members. And any opposition that you uh, uh, may feel coming back your way, you meet with obedience, with the good works that you have and the testimony that you bear. Um, I, I'll say this. This is where we're going to close. Um, I, I think... In light of the season that we went through in the fall, in light of kind of where we've been in the spring, I think the danger for you and for me is this, um, that, that we look at the things that are out there and we go, golly, I don't, I don't think we can do this. I know it's only two weeks till Easter, but oh, I don't think, we can, I don't think we're going to make it. I think I'm just too tired. I think I'm just too overwhelmed, whatever. And I, I would just encourage you, challenge you and encourage you with this verse. This is Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. <laughs> Why? Because in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. I just say to you, don't give up. I've shared the gospel that, with that guy five times, and he had, great, let's do it a six. Man, I have served that people, it feels like, 436 times. Let's, let's do 437. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, we will reap. If we do not give up, I don't know where that lands for you, but I'm guessing it lands on you somewhere. And I'm guessing that in, in that, that God may be challenging you and readying you for something this week. Let me pray and then we'll respond for a moment. Um, Father, uh, again, I, I certainly don't want, um, what, what I don't want in this moment is for us to be overwhelmed by the work that's out ahead of us, whether it's personal work that needs to be done in our own souls or work that needs to be done on behalf of others. And I pray, Father, that uh, if, if we are feeling that, the weight of that, that you would speak over us, just what Paul said in Galatians. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. Um, Father, I also pray that... Um, uh, for anyone here uh, who's under the burden of those things and in particular God under the burden of a, a, a point of obedience that you and they have been talking about and talking about and talking about God would you speak to them encourage them convict them and bring them along and God may they respond in this moment right here may they respond with a yes So we put this in your hands now. Ask that you would do what you need to do in all of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.